This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, I'm Jason Gotts, and welcome to Think Again, a Big Think podcast. Big Think is an online forum for the world's most interesting thinkers and doers to share their mind-blowing ideas on video. Since 2008, we've shared over 10,000 of them. On the Think Again podcast, we surprise our guests and me, your host, with unexpected clips from our vast and mysterious archives, and then we talk about them. And I'm here today, I'm very happy to be here today with Bill Nye, beloved science educator and host of the popular Tuesdays with Bill series on Big Think, among many other things, including an astronomically successful Kickstarter campaign for the LightSail project. Welcome to the show, Bill. It is so good to be here. How's it going today? Fabulously. Very hot in New York City, uh, the start of summer, and I think it's going to be a big thunder shower, which for me is fun. And we've provided Bill with a very hot cup of coffee on this very hot day. It's, but, it's quite good, by the way. But, I mean, A, Bill doesn't sweat, but if he did, you wouldn't see it because we're on audio. Whoa. Right. That's crazy. Exactly. Maybe you can hear him sweat, but he doesn't ever sweat. But if anything could make Bill Nye sweat, it might be this surprise interview clip from our producers. What do you have for us, Elizabeth? So this is a clip with Simon Doonan, who is a fashion expert, and he offers fashion tips for mad scientists. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. I don't think that fashion does matter in the workplace. I think what matters in the workplace is self-expression, individuality, and creativity, using fashion as a way to communicate something about you. Einstein's philosopher is a great example of having that signature flourish. Without it, he's unrecognizable. So voila. My top three tips for lab techies are as follows. Eyewear, eyewear, eyewear is the number one. Nine times out of ten, that's all people see of you is your head bobbing above a cubicle or a, a lab bench. So your eyewear should be um, very extraordinary. Color in the techie lab environment. You see a lot of people wearing grayish and beige and beige and champage as well. You know, there's nothing wrong with a bit of orange. Orange looks great with dark brown. Pale blue looks great with dark brown. Just like experiment a bit more with color. For women, false eyelashes. While other girls were at beauty school learning to glue on lashes, um, you know, these super smart science girls were too busy. You'd head in a book trying to sort of absorb this massive amount of information that they need to get their career going. So take a step back. Be that chick who was at beauty school learning to glue on lashes. It's very transformative and it's kind of 
meditative and soothing. Okay, so Simon Dunin says that scientists and lab geeks shouldn't worry too much about their appearance, but he well, has that some was specific not exactly tips. what he said. He okay, said, so I've misunderstood the whole clip. Well, no, no, I, he said, be your own person, be fashionable. Right. And he used the word narcissistic. I'm not sure that's what that is, but it's self-expression. Right. But we all wear badges. We all wear clothes. Or we, I mean, in our society where we have resources, we all wear right. things that express ourselves. Right. I could not help but notice he made no remarks about bow ties. He was there in the clip wearing a straight tie. That's right. Which I'm sympathetic to, but if you're near a lathe, a spinning thing, you right. don't want straight tie on people. It's dangerous, deadly. Right. So in the lab, you should not wear a straight. So a bow tie mm. is actually a practical necessity. That's my claim. That's not my so claim. much a fashion accoutrement. Well, it's a little me, of both. Yes. It does not slip into your soup. It does not flip into your flask, the bow tie. Let's, let's go a little deeper into the bow tie. Shall we, Bill? Sure. So what does the bow the, I say? I guess I first encountered a bow tie with a public intellectual, George F. Will. When George I was Will. a kid, my father was a fan of George Will's mm -hmm. pontificating. And that, I think, is where I first noticed an iconic bow tie. So in my mind, it's associated with intelligence. I yes. Mean, right? Sure. People who wear bow ties are smart. But there is also this kind of self-conscious geekiness about it or That's something, right. right? That's right. For sure. You're, there is. you're embracing the geek. The, I the embrace geek. the geek. Yeah. I am all about that. <laughs> Because, uh, and I'll say just writ large, if you're going to go to your red carpet event, right. you're going to wear a tuxedo. If you wear a tuxedo, you wear a bow tie. Unless you're going to go in some weird direction and wear like a bolo tie or yeah, something. Yeah, which but, happens. But no one, you shouldn't. And the do. open Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. I mean, I get it. <laughs> I'm sympathetic. Yeah. But it's not really the same thing. Uh, right. So... Uh, you start there and you work your way down to everyday um, apparel and we wear ties in our culture apparently it goes back to Scottish people fighting battles wars and you'll it's not uncommon I've been to Scotland for a, a big meeting I was there for a, over a week I guess and right. uh, not uncommon to see a bow tie in the tartan and the kilt all, I mean all of a piece oh, okay bow tie kilt right 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 and I gotta say uh, it's a great look. I cannot, I have not yet tried to pull it off, but right. I respect it. I wish you would. I respect it. Will you, will you commit here and now, Bill Nye, to trying to pull that off sometime? The, the yeah, okay, tartan on and the, condition, the bow tie. On the condition <laughs> that there is a tartan that I am permitted to wear that's a little more muted than the... Maybe it's called Scottish heather or Highland heather. There is a tartan that is okay. that's for everybody. Okay. But it's kind of a brightish or it's somewhat bright green, and I think that'd be a lot in a kilt. Okay. If it turns out that there is a kilt that I'm permitted to wear without you know causing havoc in the Scottish oh right 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 uh, family ire kilts. Yeah, then I'm in because right. it looks very comfortable. I got to say, cool, looks uh, very comfortable. Right on. Well, but we'll, anyway, th yeah. this guy, Simon, yeah, yeah, going back to Simon. Simon. Yeah, he went on about browns and blues. I'm a fan of that. Sure. In fact, you can't see it, everybody, but Jason's wearing um, glasses. Yes, I am. That have brown and blue in them. It's kind of a good look. 
The other Thanks, one I, I remind people is that, that when the brown and blue that he's talking about, I think is a light blue. Not quite a sky blue, but not a, it's not a royal blue. It's a bright, uh, lighter, rather, blue, low, higher value blue. Uh, then uh, we have uh, this question of the eyelashes. That's an interesting insight. Yeah, what, what, did, what did you I make mean, of I'll that? I'll just tell you, as a guy, I love women with long eyelashes. I just think it's so feminine and sexy right. and great. I'm a huge fan of women. <laughs> but I, uh, I get it, where you're, everybody's going to be in a lab coat, which right. generally are not shapeless, but don't have a lot to, to show sure. I am a woman. And it's, also, you, it's hard to have a lot of other fashion going on when it's going to be covered up by the lab coat. Right, and your hair would get in the way if it were down and uh, long. Yeah, kind but you of usually thing. tie it back. Right. Yeah, which is, you know, in itself quite fetching, can be quite fetching. Sure. And this wasn't my idea. Yeah, it's yeah, just, no, no, no. But this I'm a fan Simon of the eyelash thing. They that, should do the eyelashes. I say he's. He is purported to be an expert on fashion. Yeah, he knows more than we do. So sure. uh, I say to the ladies, if you're interested, how about try it? This show is so fun. <laughs> it's a freaking blast. <laughs> Talking about girls. That was Oh, my awesome. God. We can do that all night. But alas, the night is short, and it is time to move on. And now, a word from our sponsor. This episode of Think Again is brought to you by Big Think Edge. Edge is education for companies, because companies, like people, need to learn to grow. Edge applies big ideas from the world's top experts to the challenges of career, entrepreneurship, and professional life. And it can be customized for the learning needs of businesses of any size. I'm here with my boss, Victoria Brown, who co-founded Big Think and Big Think Edge. Hi, Victoria. Hi, Jason. So, okay. Let's pretend I am a very successful, small, mid-sized, or staggeringly enormous business. I'm doing very nicely. Thank you very much. Lots of customers, lots of revenue. Why do I need Big Think Edge? What can it do for me and my employees? Well, today people really require ongoing learning and development in their professional lives. And they want that learning to be short form, engaging, and available on pretty much any platform. Edge scales learning for your organization, and we customize it to your specific needs. Okay, so it's going to make my employees happy, and it can fit my company's needs, but how does that help my company overall? Well, study after study has shown that happy employees are more productive and don't job hop, which means that they're not taking all of the training you've given them and experience with them. Cultivate your employees' careers, or they'll pretty much cultivate them elsewhere. Also, Edge teaches your people skills and mindsets that will make your company smarter and more innovative. I like that, and I want to learn more. How do I do that? Go to our website, edge.bigthink.com. So I was a pretend company just now, but many real companies with names that you've heard of are happily using Big Think Edge. Maybe your business should join them next. What's up next, Elizabeth? So up next, we have a clip with Malcolm Gladwell, who's discussing the value of search engines. Okay, Malcolm Gladwell. We've heard of him. Love the Gladwell. In all of these discussions of information technology, you come back to the fact that they are solving lots of problems that aren't really problems. Can we make a better Google or Bing? Yeah, I'm sure we can. Um, but it solves a problem that isn't really a problem. You cannot point to any area of 
of intellectual activity um, or, uh, or innovation or what have you that is today being uh, compromised or hamstrung by some failure in their search technology. Can we honestly go to some scientists and say, the reason we haven't cured cancer is you don't have access to information about cancer research? No. Now, I can disagree with people, but not much more than I disagree with Mr. Gladwell there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Dude. I kind of completely disagree too. I mean, don't Malcolm, search and esteemed colleague. That doesn't a search engine enable some genius kid in Estonia to discover and and absorb all kinds of information that might enable her to solve some problem that no one's ever solved before? Yeah, and he or she is not finding that information fast enough because his or her internet connection isn't quite quick enough to pick up all the chaff right. that Google or Bing or what have you are sending the person. So, Malcolm. Gladwell. Yeah, dude. I love Malcolm Gladwell too, dude, but I don't dude, know what dude. he's. I don't know. What I gotta he's say, I think he's about. not quite. He's not quite imagining what the next couple steps are. Another issue that is to me connected here. Okay. I just offhandedly use the word chaff, the wheat from the chaff. That was a great word. Which is not about gluten free. That's not what, okay. We're talking about. We're not talking about nutrition. It's a. It's a metaphor. Right. <laughs> The stuff you want versus the stuff you can't really make use of for nourishing yourself. There's a lot of stuff on the internet that's not useful, that is misleading and weird and leads to, for example, anti-vaccination movements. Right. I can't drink tap water because it's full of evil spirits or whatever. Right. Uh, right. Because spirit being, I guess, kind of a pun. But uh, <laughs> the, um, the higher the quality of information, the better the world will be. Then who gets to determine the quality? And generally, experiments show that crowdsourcing determines the quality. Uh, it seems to be working for Wikipedia. For all sorts well, of things, yeah. yeah. That you get more information of lower quality, but you have so much more information that you find the wheat from the chaff more right. readily. So I just think Mr. Gladwell there is not thinking about how much better it really could be. Yeah. I mean, how many times do you have to skip the first one? How many ads do you have to sift through? How many... Things you and you keep trying different combinations of words to get there. And I can tell you, as an author, right, writing books, I can find information so much faster. I mean, I used to work on a drawing board, right, and I used to have, I pick a number, four textbooks open all the time. Sure. What is the th uh, coefficient of thermal expansion of beryllium copper? I would have a book open for that. What is the mechanical strength? What's the yield modulus of in-canal stainless steel? I'd have a book open for that. This is, I'm of a certain age. And it just took a long time, and the books were all over the place, and the drawing board engine, the drawing engine, was run, the T-square was running into them all the time. It was right. not the and good the old days. the faster you can finish writing your book, the faster that information gets out and to the, people, the faster and, they can share it and learn and, and, the, and you can tell what information is probably bunk. I one time used the word cesium when I meant cadmium. Okay. And a guy... An unpardonable mistake. Well, <laughs> exactly. Because they're both related to nuclear energy and... Sure. This guy just went on and on on this thing, and they're all they're, even to this day there'll be <laughs> le, there'll be internet posts about this one error I made, and uh, 
you can tell by reading it that this guy's got a chip on his shoulder. He just really wants to bring me down. And he may be right. Maybe right. this is the greatest faux pas ever in the history of uh, information technology. But part of what you get out of having a, a surfeit, an extra surplus of information, is the ability not only to find what you're looking for, but to know to get a sense of the quality of what's misleading, what you're not looking for. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, going back to what Gladwell was saying, the search technology is really good. This was part of a series that we did with Bing. The search engines are getting better and better in terms of, I think, giving you more or less what you want. But a lot of the chaff comes up with the wheat. And they're not really crowdsourcing nor exactly benevolently dictating what exactly you get in such a way that the chaff doesn't come up. You know, a lot of chaff comes up and then people have to be able to sort through it. And the, I guess, perennial question is, like, can people really sort through it? Are they learning how to sort through it? And given what's going on with vaccination and that quote-unquote debate online, I guess not everybody is that good at sorting well, through the Well, but I think young people, students coming along today, will get good at it. I, I think this so, is yeah. an age-related, this one thing you just brought up, I think is an age-related issue. I remember it was such a big deal when somebody would find a typo in the New York Times. <laughs> like, oh man, we got them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Those guys, we stuck it to them. <laughs> and there's, there's typos all the time. Right. Uh, and the world keeps spinning. Well, and now it's like online media and Big Think is as guilty of this as anyone. You know, we're getting information out there faster and faster. And the trade-off is, you know, it's pretty difficult to and stop the And just now, I was talking, I was, what word was I looking for? Incanel. That was a word I was trying, which is a type of stainless steel. Right. I couldn't think of it. And so it's going to get out there, this pause, you know, this stumble, it becomes as much a part of the transcript as the yeah, actual words. Yeah, it will words. be enshrined in the but, litany of, uh, of errors of Bill Nye. That's right. So <laughs> where to begin? Uh, so need a bigger hard drive. <laughs> so about Malcolm Gladwell, I, it seems to me that was recorded a couple years ago. Is that right? Yeah, that one's I'm not older. sure he would say that now. I, I think, think so. I think people can see that quality of search engines is actually improved over the last few years. Improved seems like every day. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's what because you, there's value in it. Yeah, what he was saying was that it doesn't solve any problem. And I just don't see Boy, how just, anyone <laughs> could agree with that. I know. It, it clearly solves the problem. It, let's take it by analogy. Is it better if you can't find a book in the library? Even though the book's in the library. Right. What are you talking about, Mr. Gladwell? That's, come on. Yeah, likewise, I mean, for me, I, you know, I mean, just, just going back to the... Uh, or bringing up maybe for the first time the faultiness of human memory. There are so many things that have been important to me at one time or another, a book I read, a quote I heard, whatever, that I want to recall sometime. And I've only got a fragment That's of right. it in memory. And, the, right. and, and I'm like, oh, what was Yates said that thing about the horse? And so I'm like, Yates, horse. And boom, it's there. It there. And I'm like, Thank you, Internet. Thank you, Google. And, yeah. But furthermore, you'll find four or five of them <laughs> where the, one of the prepositions has changed. Into, into, right. upon, and then there'll be, a, there'll be an online debate about what he actually said. Right. And if you go back to Encyclopedia or Britannica or whatever, are you sure that there's not a misprint in there? <laughs> right, right, right. So, in a nutshell, search engines are good and useful, but there is no way of knowing what's real anymore. And that's a perfect segue into our next clip about the future of money. 
This one is from Kabir Sagal. So what will our currency be 500 years from now? I like to think that we might be space tourists, right? And, and space travel is going well. And what will we use as currency in space? Well, you know, if we do a transaction in space, the distances are quite far. So if you're on one planet and I'm on another planet and we do a transaction, considering the theory of relativity, like how do you calculate interest rates when time is relative? What do you put that clock to calculate interest rates? You would have to build arguably a distributed network throughout the galaxy, right? So that when you're doing the transactions, you could basically be calling on information systems uh, throughout different moons and different planets. It may be that we have to have a, find a new um, rare metal to use as a currency. Like what do they use in Star Wars? They use something called the intergalactic banking unit or the credit, and that was based on a rare metal. And so some science fiction writers say, well, maybe in the future, um, if you can have a, a pacemaker embedded into your body, why not a payment device, right? So you just wave your hand over a payment reader. What about a reputation chip where you walk in uh, to a store and everyone knows your reputation already? So I walked into a restaurant the other day and some, I took out my cell phone because the maitre d' said, you know, I'm sorry I don't have your reservation. And I took out my cell phone and I was just texting my friend, you can take your time. And the maitre d' said, well, Sorry, sir, like, please don't write a negative review of me on Yelp or on Google. In that case, we don't need a brain chip for a reputation. Reputation is already a currency. Okay. So, I was with him till the end. Though. Yeah, well, I'm going to start by saying, outing myself for really having no idea where to begin with this. I mean, really? Currency, oh, man. the future, bank of money. Transactions. I can barely balance my own bank account. So, like, But you do balance it. Yes. Or do you, or just. You well, don't really. With, you just with a little, with a little help from my wife. But along that line, even now, and I've said this for, I have been on record with this. I've said for a long time I want it in my watch. Because that's the one piece of jewelry as a guy I almost always have. Right. And sure enough, I am right now wearing an Apple Watch. An Apple Watch. And it has a cool feature. I go into, we're in New York City. There's a very popular uh, pharmaceutical chain here called Dwayne Reed named after two streets in lower Manhattan. Yep. And, oh, it uh, is actually named after those streets. I've often wondered that I've, when that's being That's what I infer, yeah, yeah. okay. Anyway, you walk in and you wave your watch in front of the scanner, bleep. Yeah, Apple Pay. Yeah, it's cool. And that works? Yes. It's good? Yes. Okay. So do keep in mind, I have an account just for that in case this whole thing blows up and somebody tries to take all the money out of that account because they don't quite trust it yet. Oh, I see. But all right. we're a you step. opened a separate bank account for Apple Pay. For that, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's yeah. A, No, I like that. That's smart. Yeah, yeah. So it works. But I don't think there's going to be, in 500 years, I don't think there's going to be interstellar communication. Yeah, no, probably not. But I get what he, I understand what he's driving. It's a great science fiction thing. Along that line, I was always charmed from the time I was very young with the idea on Star Trek, the idea of credits. Okay. You want credits? You want more credits? I've got credits, which is sort of a universal term for currency. Credits was money, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and right now... that universal on all planets well, in, the in the Federation? In the Federation, yeah. In the Federation. Okay. yeah. All right. Haven't really, uh, <laughs> haven't really done any trading with other civilizations. Right. But let us look at history along <clears> that <throat> line. People did trade from Europe to Asia, right. and they agreed on gold because right. it doesn't corrode, right? 
I, I think mean, it will be. Well, if we encounter other civilizations, right, that are already developed and they've got a separate currency from ours, I think it'll be a leap. It'll be a while before we agree upon some common currency that isn't a thing or that isn't a service. Oh, or well, something. but trading a thing for a thing. Yeah. I'll trade you some iridium ore right. for some gluten-free <laughs> pasta. <laughs> right. Right. That's one thing, but the other guy claimed the aliens that, are dying for gluten-free pasta. Uh, I'm not, was, I cited that example because <laughs> it's really hard to know its value. <laughs> so that's trading this thing for that thing. Right. But if everybody's going to agree on this thing for a third thing and that thing for the same third thing, right. that's when you have currency. Exactly. So, but I think it would take us, a, like when we first encounter other civilizations, it's going to be a little awkward to be like, okay, guys, we're going to, let's agree on this third thing. This, that's what we I'm have saying. Of paper. You know, why, they're going to want stuff. That's why I was very stuff. skeptical of his claim that they have metal, some indestructibilium yeah. in the future. That's, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're going to want dolphins or something. We're yeah. going to be giving them dolphins. And we're going to want us... biodiversity. Yeah, exactly. Or something. Yeah, uh, hopefully not diseases that wipe out the whole human race You know, from another Yeah, that would be it's probably undesirable. That but I don't be. think that's in 500 years, which is the number he threw out. Right. Along that line, uh, I remember very well this description of Fort Knox. Okay. And when countries did business... Somebody put gold bricks on a hand truck at Fort Knox okay. and moved them from one vault to the other or one caged area to the other. France paid Britain so many gold bars. Like in Fort Knox? Like yeah. The money was still in Fort Knox, but the, it belonged now to bars. France. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And this was like some deal. Everybody put And how were Britain and France okay with well, that? They, like, well, they think they had their own gold bars from the U.S. Okay. You follow me? Okay, yes, I do. Just, uh, I do. Maybe it was all, you know what, this shows you the <laughs> unreliability of human men. Maybe it was all transactions with the U.S. and other countries. Okay. Right? You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. And this is what, and I'm a guy of an age where the novel Goldfinger was like a pretty cool idea. Like this guy, gold was so valuable at that time that this guy who for the I guess it's kind of a British thing. His name was Goldfinger. Would smuggle gold around Europe by making certain parts of the Rolls Royce were made out of gold. Okay. So the customs officials wouldn't look for that because it was painted over and it looked like a car part. And it was a car part. It was just extraordinarily heavy. Right. And Goldfinger and his crew had rigged up the suspension to make the car drive normally, gotcha. even though it was literally made of gold, and then he'd get it to Switzerland or wherever he was going to smuggle gold. This was the plot of the real book, you guys, where he was going to smuggle gold and then melt it down and somehow get rich. In some yeah, that way wouldn't, that, now that wouldn't matter at no, all. No, I mean, gold, gold you buy and sell as a commodity because yeah. it's all done electronically now. Right. And what if the internet goes down? That would be bad. <laughs> and so I hope in 500 years there's a scheme to make a very robust, secure way to trade credits. And that's what I think Bitcoin is an effort to create this international system based right. on trust and trade. Yeah, I mean, this issue of security, it's just not going away. I mean, we have China having no problem apparently breaking into... Well, the word no problem, they bring it up because we want funding for that. This is a solvable problem, everybody. This is solve. I just think about these guys taking gold on the stagecoach. Right. 
And the same is true if you're moving money. I don't mean to be dismissive, but the same is true when you're moving money electronically from one place to another. It's a new problem that needs a new set of no, that uh, makes, solutions. No, that makes sense. I mean, in the early days, the you know things were very loosey-goosey out west, and it took it a long wild. time. It, it was, was wild. wild. It, it took a long time for even like the authority of the sheriffs to be established that's right. and people yeah. to take them seriously, so, like a lawman. You know, that's right. Yeah. And uh, a highwayman was a celebrated because I guess it was hard to make a living at it, but right. it was very lucrative if you could right. just take other people's money. So it was kind of sexy and brave. Yeah, and yeah. but I'll just tell you, there's shotguns involved at close range. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot can go wrong. The results with that. are not pretty. And then you know, then the guy shows up with the big iron on his hip. This would be an older reference, a country western one, where the guy, yeah, the 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 heavy the the marshal shows up with literally a bigger gun. So what's an iron in the context of a gun? That's just oh, it's made gun. of steel, I guess. Uh, no, yeah, not made of iron. Yeah, well, steel is iron with carbon in it. Right. No, steel changed everything. So when you put a few carbon atoms in steel, in iron, it becomes what we call steel. It has very different properties. You can harden it. You can make it soft. You can sharpen it. You can make it flexible. You can make it brittle with carbon. And this is the strange or remarkable thing about being an earthling is there's all this iron around and all this carbon around. So it's a, it's a material that we embraced. Right. But perhaps the future... Maybe, maybe the future currency is made of solid carbon. Bah! <laughs> Not metal at all. But anyway, if we have organic... Carbon's pretty plentiful. Though. Oh, man. If we have organic circuits... Right. These would be circuits based on carbon chemistry rather than silicon chemistry. Okay. Maybe that's the future. Maybe that's the answer to this guy's dilemma. The future of currency? Of currency. Except yeah. that we'd be making them, so couldn't we just make more? Well, well we can do that with money, too. Yeah. And yeah, we do, sorry. actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Big so fun. Big th fun. Yeah, this was awesome. And thank you so much, Bill Nye, for being on the show. Oh, it's great. Thank you for having me. And we have this tradition on the show where we ask our guests to read... The random quote oh, of the yes, week. Oh, yes, the random the quote of the week. Random quote generator. If I will. I'm ready. Stand by. Three, two, one. You can't have everything. Where would you put it? Stephen Wright, one of my favorite comedians of all time, and I think that's true. But he would say it you can't have everything. Where would you put it? Yeah, as if he had just had a frontal lobotomy. It's <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> it was so great. Oh, okay. He still is, but you know, he's, I think he was able to retire off his uh, celebrated insights. So it's not a random quote. Yeah, I guess well, it is. Well, it is a random quote. Okay, here's what's Although I off. believe that the random quote generator actually often reads our minds. and No, then no, here's the, what threw me off. Yeah. It said, quote, generator, but it's actually a, quote, look up -erator. A quote. Oh, you're right. It's not creating a, a quote. If it were creating a quote, it would be like, you know, fish, rainbow, forgiven, spam, tomorrow, happiness, or something, right? That would be or something very dadaist. That's right. Yeah, it would know. be. It might be grammatically <laughs> consistent with standard English, but not make perfect sense. Exactly. But, but this is uh, a random. This is quote, a pretty good quote. Upper. Yeah. Yes, it is. All right, everybody, that is Think Again for this week. You can find us on the internet at B 
bigthink.com forward slash think again or on Twitter, which is also sort of on the internet, at bigthinkagain. See you next week. Carry on.